Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do you bleed green? Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. <laughs> This is Birds 365, hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. And here we go, here we go! Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50 plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go. Let's go. Go. And good morning, Birds fans. A Tuesday edition of Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Feel free to go ahead and hit the like. Since you're here early, beat the crowd. Beat the rush. Hit that like button as we get another uh, show underway. Here, John McMullen, Jody McDonald, and a couple of good guests. Uh, I think today's show is going to be a good one. Uh, A couple of guys who we've had on previously and almost always bring it uh, when they join us today. Uh, We'll bring it for you for the next two hours here on Birds 365. JM, we're going to start today where we start way too many shows, but I guess you have to. And that would be the quarterback position. Uh, We know what the Eagles are dealing with coming into this season. It's kind of jail and hurts or bust. And some are more optimistic than others. It really is a major swing between those who think that the Eagles have their quarterback of the future and those who think the season has already uh, got no chance to uh, end up in any significant results because the Eagles just don't have a top-ranked quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Can he become that? That's the key question. What is Jalen Hurts' room for improvement coming into the season? And I was on jacobsports.com and saw your latest missive, and you made an excellent point in that it's kind of tough to judge Jalen Hurts on the practice field. That that is not where Jalen Hurts, at least as per under the restraints he was last year with the Eagles, and we expect them to be much the same since they're continuing to show that they don't want to risk anybody's health in any kind of a practice situation, length of practice, intensity of practice, practice just period. Uh, so uh, judging Jalen Hurts and what his improvement level in this season is going to be is going to be a really tough thing to do until the season starts, unless you're going to go down the road of, hey, they're 4-0 and in joint practices, and <laughs> that's going to be the key to judging the improvement in Jalen Hurts. 
how are we going to know if the quarterback is any better before the season starts? It's going to be difficult. Uh, you, you know, you're going to hear about joint practices because that's what it is. I mean, you can only report what's going on. But I, I do remember, and we had Emory Hunt on yesterday, and he sort of jogged my memory to this. It was I, in one of those joint practices against New England. I remember the Eagles were working on red zone offense. So the Patriots, obviously, their red zone defense was on the field, and he was, and he was. Uh, flushing right, which he often does, probably a little bit too often, doesn't like to uh, uh, go to his left as much. But, um, and, and, you know, it's practice. And the quarterbacks, in the case of the Eagles, have the red jerseys on. And, you know, you got to protect him at all costs. So as he's extending the play, which is really one of the biggest strengths of, of Jalen Hurts' ability as a quarterback, sure. the whistle blows. You know, play wasn't over from his standpoint. And I always say Jalen's pretty much unflappable. If you've ever, ever met him, uh, you know, he doesn't get upset about too many things. But on this particular rep, he fired the football into the ground. He was clearly frustrated uh, because in his mind, he knew the play wasn't over. But it's practice. In a game, you're going to let it go. In practice, you're not going to let it go because the official made the right decision at practice. You're you're there to protect the quarterback. You're there to make sure nothing happens from that perspective. And, you know, after both Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts, we asked him about it, and they, and they gave this explanation. I'm going to be honest, Jody. I rolled my eyes at the time. I'm like, come on. I, you know, he's he, because, you know, Jalen was very uneven in training camp last year. There were some good days, some bad days, certainly some accuracy issues. And, you know, it sounded like an excuse. Well, after watching the season, it wasn't an excuse. It wasn't. Um, He's not a practice player. He really isn't. Because you're always going to blow that stuff dead. And they're going to blow it dead this year. And you're not going to get a feel for what he can do even in these pseudo live reps, because they're not live reps. And he can't, and that's what Emery had, Emery said, you can't fake live. And it's different with a quarterback like Jalen Hurts than, say, a Tom Brady or somebody that. You can get a feel for what Tom's doing and very surgical. Um, You know, he's not extending many plays. He's certainly not going to flush right and keep looking and looking and looking and looking. Um. So it is something just to to throw in the mix. And, uh, you know, it was proven what Jalen said and what Nick Sirianni said was proven to be correct. There are times in practice where he is not allowed to show what he can do, and that makes it more difficult to evaluate him in practice. If you didn't catch yesterday's interview that we did with Emery Hunt, we'd never had him on before. Uh, John was able to reach out and get him to agree to come on the show yesterday. He did a really good job with us uh, from footballgameplan.com. I'd never spoken to Emery before, and uh, he he did a real nice spot with us yesterday. But he said one thing that just flat out floored me. I thought I was one of the biggest Jalen Hurts fans in town going back to the night that the Eagles called his name in the second round of the draft. Because let's be honest, I would say about... Oh, 98% 
of the people here in Philadelphia, Eagle fans, quasi-Eagle fans, die-hard Eagle fans, all in one big uh, group, did not like to pick up Jalen Hurts. Most were ready to run Howie Roseman out of town. How can you select a quarterback in the second round when you've just given all this money to Carson Wentz? We have our quarterback. We've got holes. How can you use this stupid factory quarterback that is the Philadelphia Eagles? They think they're... Oh, that was that was the overwhelming sentiment of Eagle fans when they took Jalen Hurts in the second round. I was one of what I thought was very few who thought, you know, I got no problems with the pick. They need a backup quarterback anyway. I think he's fair value in the second round. If they like the kid, it's not a bad pick because he'll be their backup quarterback. I was one of very few who said that. Well, my fandom of Jalen Hurts pales in comparison to that of Emory Hunt. He said with us here yesterday that, yes, he had Joe Burrow ranked as the number one quarterback in the draft. He had Jalen Hurts second. There were two quarterbacks taken in between Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow, named Tua Tungavaloa at number five and Justin Herbert at number six. And, oh, by the way, you know I'm a big Tua fan. Um, uh, Herbert has already established himself as one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. Oh, yeah. And Jalen Hurts, we're still trying to figure out if he can play quarterback in the league. And everyone on record is saying that he had Hurts ranked as the second best quarterback in the draft. Well, I guess I hate Jalen Hurts then because if you compare me to what Emery said, that's uh, not even close, not even the same ballpark. He thinks this kid's going to be a superstar. Got a chance to be better than uh, uh, Mr. Herbert. Well, I think at this stage you have to you have to admit you were wrong about Justin Herbert. I mean, you know, it it's okay. You know, there were questions about Justin Herbert coming into that draft, um, but not you know, to the significant level that he was going to fall um, outside the top 10 or anything of that nature. Um, so, I mean, that's just a miss, you know, and Emery does this every year and, he, you know, he's right. He's, his, his, you know, you can go to footballgameplan.com and get his draft stuff and he had him number two and all that kind of stuff. So it's not revisionist Chip Kelly history where I had, Odell Beckham Jr. is the best player in the draft, um, which nobody did. Uh, so that's number one, you know, to, uh, I think there were some extenuating circumstances in the fact that he had that serious injury. So there were the hip injury. So there were some real, real issues with him from a health standpoint. So, you know, maybe you factor that into it. And then I think Jordan Love was later. Was there anybody else in that first round, uh, Jody? I don't think so. After I think it was Jordan Love was the. I think it was four um, better than Jordan love. So, I mean, when you really think about it, it's, you know, the only one he wildly swinged and missed on was Justin Herbert, who, you know, I freely admit I have a man crush on Justin Herbert. If you gave me the ability to pick any quarterback, I'd pick Mahomes. you know, and again, for the long, I'm talking long-term, I, I would pick Mahomes because of what he's done, what he's accomplished, his talent. But boy, I'd have I'd, I'd I'd wring my hands a little bit when I start thinking about the upside of Justin Herbert. That's how much I like him as a player. And again, I'm talking long term, so I'm not talking the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady's, and all those. 
I really, really like him as a player. I like him more than Joe Burrow, and I like Joe Burrow. Um, and and we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. I don't see how you look at those two particular players, Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts, and say um, one's got a chance to be better than the other, and the answer's not Justin Herbert. But, you know, everybody's got their sort of uh, – uh, I'm, I'm – kind of the same way with Herbert. Like I'm I'm talking about him in the same conversation with Mahomes. Very few people would do that. Uh so you do kind of uh fall in love with prospects. The game is changing to where and we just kind of talked about it where if the ability to extend plays and and do off schedule stuff is more important. And obviously, you know, Jalen Hurts does that better than just about anybody not named Lamar Jackson. Um so that might factor into it as well. But yeah, I mean Emery's got to live Emery's got to live with that one. I mean Justin Herbert is is just uh you know, that is a superstar superstar level talent in my book. Everybody else? Hey, Jalen's already better than Jordan Love. I mean, he lapped Jordan Love. And Tua, I know you're a big Tua fan, and yeah. you know he's going to have every opportunity because the Dolphins, sort of with Jalen, they're sort of in the same exact same space, in that they built up around him, they've gotten him weapons. Same thing with Jalen Hurts. So let's throw the footballs out there and see who's better. Obviously, scouts, the majority of scouts believe Tua has a as as a much higher uh, skill level. We'll see. I mean, it's closer than I thought it would be. I will say that, Jody. Yeah, I think Tua's going to have a bust-out year this year. He he actually is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes, according to a key wide receiver who played with Holmes and now he's practiced <laughs> with. Except we just yeah. learned you can't learn anything from practice, depending on, I guess, who's running the practice. Maybe the Dolphins have a different way of doing their practice. Uh, I was... Still am continue to be a huge Tua Tungavaloa fan, and I think he's going to have a uh, bust-out year. But it doesn't mean Jalen Hurts can't have a very good year for the Philadelphia Eagles here. We're just not going to know about it until game one, game two, game three, game four. He's not going to play in preseason. We already know that. Last year, never saw the field when he was the Eagles' starting quarterback, so don't bank on those three preseason games opening up your eyes for what Jalen Hurts can do. It's just not going to happen. I hope they hit the ground running. They uh, have added uh, to the talent level around him. We know they've got arguably the best offensive line in all of football. Uh, I just hope Jalen Hurts hits the ground running because much like the Eagles, uh, Jalen Hurts needs to get off to a good start. The schedule says the Eagles can and should get off to a very good start, which means Jalen Hurts should get off to a good start as well. And I and I will say one thing Emery noted as well, and this has proven to be right, the way he goes about his business, the work ethic, the leadership, um, the intangible stuff, it's off the charts with Jalen Hurts. Um, and – you know, I always I always say you probably heard me. This is our what three hundred six show. You probably heard me say this, Jody, at least three hundred six times. Player development is real, so you know it doesn't stop when you draft Jordan Love or or Tua and say, okay, we got a good player or we got a bad player. You got to develop that player. One thing that Jalen Hurts is going to do, and what Emory said is going to do 
He's humble. He's going he's gonna to listen to what he needs to work on. And he's going to work on it. So that development aspect of it, these guys have more talent. But that doesn't mean they're going to end up to be better players. In the case of Burrow and Herbert, it is. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, talent wins out in the end. And those guys are just super, super talented. But then when you start to go to that second tier, then it then it starts to be, all right, who works harder? Who does what it needs to do? Who has those intangibles? Jalen has those intangibles more than anybody else I've come across as a young quarterback. Anybody. And I mean anybody. Typically, when you're talking about young quarterbacks, and I'll say this about Burrow and, and Herbert, I don't get to be around them, obviously. But I that's the kind of stuff I worry about. Like, obviously, they have the talent. Now, Joe Burrow's been to the Super Bowl already. He's Joe Cool. He's Joe Namath now, right? He's everybody's – is he going to come back with the same desire and the same work ethic to be at the same level? Is Justin Herbert, when everybody like John McMullen is blowing smoke up his you-know-what and telling him how great he is, is he going to still do everything necessary to be that great? I don't know. I know Jalen Hurts is going to do it. I don't know that about many young quarterbacks. Mm, I I think you have to have a grasp of it before you ever call it his name on draft day. I think that's a team's major responsibility. And I believe the Eagles uh, factored that in and taking Jalen Hurts in the second round. He was as good as a, uh, of a leader and a uh, motivator of teammates and men. I think you can get a pretty good grasp of that. You don't have a full grasp of it until you get him into your huddle, until you get him into your locker room. But you can do some pretty good scouting on that and know that. Well, I agree. But what, what I'm trying to say is, like, he's elite in that. And people don't typically talk about, like, they'll talk about elite arm talent or or they'll talk about elite processing skills. And he doesn't have that. But he's got elite intangibles. You never hear that because people don't think you can judge it correctly. I I think when you see it, at least you could judge it correctly. And, you know, little stuff like I'm, and I'm being serious here, Jody. I've, I've never heard of a quarterback anywhere. And I've been around some great quarterbacks, some hall of fame quarterbacks. Um, I've never heard of somebody saying, Oh, so it's Devin Allen comes in as, you know, if he's not the 80th or 88th or 89th man on the roster, he's close to it. And Jalen Hurts is there texting him, welcoming to the team. Defensive players that he has nothing to do with. Might even go a full day not seeing them because, you know, everything's so compartmentalized in the NFL. Offense works with the offense. Defense works with the defense. You're in your room positional room there in their positional room you don't see each other on the field until you're doing one-on-ones and getting the reps and on on the practice field um he, he in, sort of embraces everybody it's i've never seen it before it's 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 elite and people don't talk about intangibles being elite and if you've got them, you need to flaunt them. And Jalen Hurts does, and good for him. We need to see the actual ability on the field. Leadership is great. 
working with teammates is great. Being able to rally your teammates is a key aspect of being a quarterback. But then on third and three, you got to be able to hit the guy in the hands and move the chains and keep yeah, the drive you gotta going. Produce. You got to produce. But all I'm trying to say, I, I hope I'm getting it across correct. All I'm trying to say is if you have those intangibles and you have that work ethic and you have that desire to be better and you're humble and you're willing to work on your deficiencies, there's a better chance that you improve those deficiencies than somebody who doesn't. And that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. If he doesn't have the talent to be a star quarterback in this league, he doesn't have the talent to be a star quarterback. We're going to learn that. Um, and there's nothing you can do um, from that standpoint. But if, if it's, you know, the Eagles call it winning outside the margins. If it's that close, he's going to win outside the margins. The Eagles are very good at playing outside the margins. All right, he's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are Birds 365. Told you we've got two good guests joining us today. Uh, Tommy Lawler, Eagles blogger, eaglesblitz.com. He's been on with us before, been uh, covering the Birds for many a year. He's going to hop aboard with us next. And then Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus and also overthecap.com going to come on. Uh, they've got some intriguing lists. And Brad was the guy who put out the one the other day best value deal in the national football league a philadelphia eagle player we'll talk to brad about that a little bit later but tommy lawler eaglesblitz.com joins us next here on birds 365 News at 11 with Rick Williams. It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community, a sports roundup for the locals, and the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, I go to left, I fake a mom. Mama, go. Oh, mama! <laughs> She did it. Again? You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh.
field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Tuesday edition of Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media Channel. You got the Mac and Mac guys on the phone and McDonald. Joined by our bud, Tommy Lawler, a longtime Eagles beat writer, now Eagles blogger on EaglesBlitz.com. Tommy, how's your summer going? It's off to a good start. How about how are you fellas doing? Uh, having some uh, trees cut down. Damn me, Tommy. If you, hear, <laughs> if you hear any strange noises, don't be alarmed. But, okay, uh, fair enough. That's what happens in the home studio. But it's good to see you. Uh, happy summer, as Jody said. Um I guess we'll start with Jalen Hurts because Jody and I were discussing that before you came on. Um, You know, it's tough to look at this team right now, Tommy, and say Howie Roseman has not built up a pretty significant roster. Um, I don't know where you want to put it, but certainly in the top half of the league. And a lot of this is going to depend. You hate to go to boil things down to the quarterback, but, and I think people do that too much, but does it come down to the quarterback? I mean, if Jalen Hurts plays really well, this is going to be a really good team. And if they don't, if he doesn't, maybe there's some issues. Well, I mean, football, the most important position is quarterback. There's no question, but you don't have to have the best quarterback to win. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has one Super Bowl win in his career, and he's been the best quarterback over the last 15 years in terms of, you know, pure talent and what he's been able to do. Brady's obviously won a lot more and will be the considered the better player from an overall standpoint. But there's no question if, you know, which guy could do more amazing things. It's obviously going to be Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Jalen Hurts, he, he, you know, somebody asked me on Twitter, you know, should I believe in this guy? And my response was something along the lines of right now, all there is is hope because we don't know what he can do, right? We're projecting and, and trying to figure out what he can do. I, I feel very confident saying there's no question he'll be better. The question is, will he be good enough? And that's where things get complicated, because what does good enough mean? You know, is, is getting the Eagles uh, into the playoffs and winning a single game good enough? Is uh, What if he has a great season and there's a slew of injuries and the team, you know, gets to the playoffs and doesn't win because he doesn't have the right people around him. It's hard to, to say that there's a, a definitive uh, target that he's got to he's got to meet. But I think you kind of know when you watch it. We saw last year he was able to make plays and do things, but he was doing it against mediocre competition, right? He lit up the Lions, you know. That's great, and we saw some really good things in that game. But when he played Tampa Bay in the playoffs, it was just the opposite. We didn't see good things. So I think the eyeball test will tell us whether he's headed in the right direction and whether what we think his ceiling can be. Tommy, you've been covering the Eagles for a long time. So I know you understand when it comes to Eagle Nation, the the fan base of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the two things that they love most are watching and rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles 
and second guessing the offensive play calling of the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> That's what they do best. Uh, this, this should be a real fun year because the Eagles have gone out of their way to upgrade some weapon. A.J. Brown, major addition. Devonta Smith, better second season in the NFL. We're all assuming the, the Eagles are going to throw the football more this year, but they were pretty damn effective running it in the second half of last season. If we're right that they want to throw the ball more, that that's the nature of the National Football League. It has become such a passing league. You can't be as run dependent as the Eagles were last year and think you can go to a Super Bowl. How scrutinized is the Eagles offensive contingent going to be? And that comes from the head coach to the play caller all the way down. How much of a microscope are they going to be under this year? Oh, certainly a lot. Because when you go in and you add uh, A.J. Brown and you have uh, a good offensive line in place and you had Devontae Smith in year two and Jalen Hurts is going to have the you know, the second straight year under a coaching staff and in an offense, there's all these pieces in place. So just look at it at a piece of paper and studying Eagles, they should be one of the better offenses in the league. And uh, I saw the, uh, the other day of a fantasy guy on Twitter had projected, and this is a, a notable guy, uh, had projected Jalen Hurts to be one of the top fantasy quarterbacks in the league next year. And so there's going to be a lot of expectation for the Eagles to be a flat-out good offense, not pretty good, not have some good games, but to be a consistently good offense. So uh, fans are certainly going to feel that way. The media is going to feel that way. The NFL analysts are going to feel that way. So there will be a lot of pressure on them to put up big numbers on a regular basis. Everybody has a stinker here and there. That's just That's just reality. But uh, they need to be consistently good. Last year, uh, they ran the ball consistently well, but the offense would be up and down. There was a couple of games where they struggled to score points. And uh, whether it was turnovers or red zone issues, they had a couple of games they just couldn't put the points on the board. So that's something that's got to change this year. And it will be interesting to see how the offense evolves. I think one of the things that we learned from Nick Sirianni last year is that he's flexible and adaptable. And he, he had a vision for the team in week one Uh, that he wanted to be uh, able to throw the ball and do some things and mix in the run. And then when you watch that team 10 weeks later, the offense was very different. You know, they were running the ball left and right. They led the NFL in in rushing attempts for a certain amount of of the season. And so uh, he showed the ability to learn on the fly. This year, he'll have new personnel. He'll have more experienced personnel. So I think we'll see a different offense. Uh, you mentioned Nick a little bit, Tommy. I, I've been thinking about the coaching staff as a whole. Um, very rarely in the modern NFL do you get the band back together, so to speak. I mean, the Eagles have their entire coaching staff back together. Um, obviously, the key components that people focus on, but even the position coaches, which never happens. It never happens in Philadelphia. It hasn't happened since the Super Bowl success where you lose. So one of two things happen. You have success, you lose guys like Frank Reich and John Filippo because they get promotions elsewhere, or you don't live up to expectations and Jeffrey Lurie comes looking for a scapegoat. And there you have your Mike Gross and Carson Walsh's and so forth and Press Taylor and on and on and on. The reason Doug isn't here because the Eagles wouldn't let him have Matt Burke or Corey Unlin as defensive coordinator, Press Taylor as offensive coordinator. So you get my point. It's There's going to be change, and there's probably going to be change after this year because the expectations are so hyped up for this Eagles team. 
Um, if, if you were to gauge two things, Gannon or Steichen, because Shane is now calling the offensive plays, so he's going to have that higher profile. We know Jonathan Gannon already had three head coaching interviews. He was very close to getting the Houston job. So number one, which one of those two do you think is more likely to leave if the Eagles have success? And then secondly, does Nick have to take advantage of this? Because he's not going to have all his coaches back next year. Not going to happen. It just doesn't happen in the NFL. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, when you do have success, as, as we saw certainly during the Andy Reid era, you know, when they were so good those first few years, they had a, a really a, a good ability to retain coaches. And uh, later on, you know, all of a sudden you start losing a guy every year. Childress goes, Harbaugh goes, uh, Ron Rivera goes, Leslie Frazier goes, and on down the line. And by the time you get to 2006, 2007, the staff that had originally come with Reed was almost all gone, you know, because they had all just gotten uh, new jobs. And uh, so it's, it's a it's a catch-22. You want to build a great staff and you want to win football games, but when you do, other teams come take your coaches away. So it's a little tough. Uh, certainly there will be pressure for Sirianni to win while he's got all his pieces in place. But one of the things that I like about Sirianni is that he understands the coaching cycle. He, he's been a part of a coaching staff in the NFL long enough to know that you have to have a plan for replacing coaches. And so I think he's tried to train uh, and develop members of his staff so that if they are to lose somebody, they can promote from within if that's what they want to do, if they feel somebody's ready. And so he's cognizant of the fact he's not going to have these guys forever. Now, that doesn't mean the hires will, will go according to, to his hopes. We all know that there's been a ton of great hires in NFL, or a ton of hires in NFL history that look great and sounded great and worked out just the opposite. Uh, uh, Gannon, you know, he's all a little, a little bit of a mystery to a lot of us as to why he's so highly regarded in league circles, you know, but he, he says things the right way. He obviously must interview very well. He's got a presence about him and his ideas about defense resonate with teams now as, as people are being more creative and have different goals. The old days of load up the box, stop the run and just blitz relentlessly, you know, the Buddy Ryan formula, right? That just doesn't work in the modern NFL. And so now with being creative and playing different coverages and focusing on this and that, what he says seems to resonate with teams. So it feels like Gannon's going to get a head coaching job at some point. Steichen, I, I, I don't, he doesn't feel like a compelling candidate to me. So I don't think he'll be going anywhere for a few years. All right. Uh, your latest blog on uh, eaglesblitz.com talked about this entire offseason, basically an evaluation of the job that Howie Roseman has done. And you did a nice job comping it to previous offseasons the Eagles have had. Um, for those who didn't get a chance to look at it yet, uh, highlight some of the things that you do like about this Eagles offseason and where you think they may have come up short. Well, obviously, Howie, if, if you look at what he did, they upgraded almost every area of the team, right? They added a quarterback. They added an elite receiver. They added a tight end. They added a stud offensive lineman. They added a stud defensive lineman. They added multiple linebackers. They added safety. They added uh, multiple cornerbacks. The one thing that they didn't address was running back, but they obviously feel uh, good about Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott. And we, as we know with running back, that's a place you can find somebody 
at the drop of a dime who can come in and contribute. You know, Jordan Howard, as far as I know, is still a free agent. So should it get to August and they say, you know what, let's bring, let's get the band back together. They can add a guy like Jordan Howard. Um, so they've done a good job of not just focusing on one, one simple spot. And, you know, listen, they, they had a lot of resources, but when they traded for AJ Brown and they traded up for Jordan Davis, those resources got thinned out. And so they had to be a little creative. Well, you know, they went and they signed a really good undrafted class, getting a guy like Carson Strong, who I thought could have been a mid-round draft pick. They got him as an undrafted uh, player because of his knee history. Uh, he's got the tremendous talent, but he's, he's had a real injury. So if he can stay healthy, it just cost the Eagles a few hundred thousand dollars to essentially buy an additional seventh round pick. So that's a, that's a good job there. And I think one of the things that I've been most impressed with the way how he's handled this off season is he's shown patience and it can be easy. If you go back to some of the old Howie days, he wanted to go nab all his key targets. And if he missed on them or something went wrong, he just kind of went a little crazy, right? He didn't handle that well because he wanted to, the, you know, he, he, he would put all of his chips into let's make this move. Let's make that move. Got to get this player. And when things didn't work out, he didn't have the ability to say, all right, let's move back. Let's reset the board. Here's another plan we have. He would focus a little too much on a single player. And uh, now that we see him, he's got, I think some of this may have come from Joe Douglas because it certainly feels very Raven-esque to me where you say, all right, if, if that plan doesn't work, then we'll just wait and we'll see if somebody else comes available. But we can't, we're not just going to make a move to make a move. We're going to make moves that we think are smart. So the Eagles could have made a move for a safety at any point, And they sat there patiently and then they signed Jaquiski Tart to a cheap deal. And, you know, he comes in and, and he can be a starter. He can be a number three safety. He just gives them some depth there and a potential to start. But rather than rush out and sign the, a, a guy to a, a mid-level deal that you don't really believe in, be patient, see how the market plays out. And I'm sure Tart at some point said, you know, I'm not getting the offers I want. The Eagles could be a winning team. Let me go sign there and we'll see what happens. And they got lucky by not making a rushed move at corner. James Bradbury gets cut, falls into their lap. So his patience has paid off that he's been able to make these additions that he didn't make the first or second week of March and have helped the Eagles to have one of the, one of the better rosters in the league. Yeah. It's interesting because now that we know sort of in hindsight, uh, how we did want the original plan was, okay, we're going to go after Marcus Williams. We're going to try to make a splash at safety. And then we're going to go after Trey Wayans and get sort of a, an okay sort of talented, but has never lived up to the billing. Um, still under 30 years old. That didn't work out. The Ravens uh, outbid the Eagles for Williams. Trey Wayne said, you know what, I'm thinking about retiring. And all of a sudden, that patience turns into James Bradbury at corner, who's a better player than Wayne's, in my estimation. Sure. Now, Tart's not Marcus Williams, but you still get competency there. So Jody and I were talking about this yesterday, Tommy. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good and not get what you want originally, because then you got to go looking and open up another door if the Eagles signed Trey Wayne's, they wouldn't have been in the James Bradbury mix when he became available. So I do think fans get caught up in it's got to happen right now. It's got to happen right now. One thing Howie says that resonates, it's a long time between free agency and the start of the season. It's a number of ways to get players. 
he's gotten better at that over the years. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's no question. And and your point about being lucky, uh, NFL history is filled with that. I mean, yeah. uh, Dak Prescott, you know, the Cowboys tried for five or six quarterbacks before yep, yep. settled on Dak Prescott. And as Eagles fans, you know, it would have been great for them to draft Paxton Lynch. <laughs> you know, we'd love that. Or Connor Cook or one of these guys that's out of the league now. Instead, they had to settle for Dak Prescott, and he's been a terrific player for them for the last five years. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we, we, some moves, going back to Andy Reid, he wanted to hire Marvin Lewis to be his defensive coordinator. Marvin came, visited Philadelphia, said, you know what, it's not for me. I'm going to stick where I am. So they had to settle for a, a guy named, um, what was the name, Jim Johnson? I think he did okay. <laughs> yeah, he did you know? okay. So sometimes you have to sort of uh, – uh, you have your list and you want, you want this. And if it doesn't work out, you have to be flexible because if you put everything into one player and that player goes elsewhere, because players have freedom there, there's agents involved, there's wives involved. There's all kinds of things involved with that player. There's no guarantee that player is going to want to come to you. Uh, And obviously with the draft, you just don't control things unless you have the number one pick. So you have to be flexible with your plans. You have to be patient. And part of that patience is now, you have to sit there and say, if things don't work out, if Jaquiski Tart doesn't come here, if James Bradbury doesn't fall into our laps, then we have to be willing to go with Marcus Epps or uh, uh, Zach McPherson. We have to be willing to take a chance on the players we do have already in place. And again, I, I talk about the Ravens because they will sit there and be patient. And sometimes guys come to them that, mm-hmm. that fits them. Other times they don't, and they take a chance on young players that are already on their roster some of those players pan out, some don't, but you have to kind of be patient and play the long game rather than run around and sign a bunch of mid-level free agents that you don't really believe in, but the, the media will like and fans will like say, hey, we made that move. Well, don't just make that move. Go make moves with players you believe in. Be patient, take a chance. And this, this offseason, things have worked out. Now, of course, we've got to see what it looks like on the field. It looks good on a piece of paper. we just got to see what it does on the field. Tommy, one of the reasons why I love having you on the show is that uh, you've got a very good grasp on Eagles history. So I'm going to take a risk here and I'll probably get roasted for this. And people will say, that's a problem with this YouTube. The tape never goes away. (laughs) I'm going to put three names together and I want you to uh, give me your take on them. Um, Jeremiah Trotter, Seth Joyner, and N'Kobe Dean. I'm not going to say that the Kobe Dean is going to be better than the aforementioned oh, linebacker. I'm, I'm already going off, Jody. I'm not going to say that he will even be the equivalent of those linebackers. I'm going to say he's going to get into their neighborhood. That's how much I Oof. love this young man and think he's going to be a dynamite, productive linebacker for the Eagles for years. Trotz, Seth, Kobe Dean. Which neighborhood do you see him being more like? Which one do you see him being able to grab a residence in? That's a tough one. Uh, so Seth really should be a Hall of Fame player. Uh, the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame, I get that. There's a lot of players that's tough to get in. The fact he's not really talked about and, and considered for it bothers the heck out of me. If you look at what he did in 1991, he was phenomenal. His ability to rush the passer, play the run, cover tight ends, drop back, uh, he had interceptions, sacks, fumble recoveries, forced fumbles, tackles. He was a truly a complete linebacker and could take over games. He was a special, special player. 
He's the best linebacker the Eagles have had in a long time. Maybe you could argue he's the best linebacker in team history. He is a phenomenal player. Nicobe Dean ain't going to come anywhere close to that. Let's just let's just go ahead and get that off the bat. Seth is a special dude, right? Uh, Jeremiah Trotter was a fantastic player for a short amount of time. His body just uh, in terrible shape. You know the story about him taking a. He went to Kansas City in 2005 as a free agent. Went and talked to the doctors. They looked at his knee and he said, "I don't know why you guys bother. I'm going to fail your test." <laughs> and they said, "Well." Okay, he did fail our test, and he ended up flying back to Philadelphia and signing with the Eagles. Uh, he could play; he just his body couldn't sustain it because of the the amount, the size. You know, two hundred sixty pound linebacker who was super <laughs> physical. Now, I think Dean would have the potential to be like him—a guy that makes some Pro Bowls and has some really outstanding years. Their play styles will be nothing like because Seth at two hundred, excuse me, a Trotter at two hundred sixty pounds, he was a sledgehammer. Right. If you go watch the early years. Uh, Jim Johnson would have him attack offensive linemen. Usually offensive linemen come to you and it's up to the linebacker to engage them and try to shed the block. Trot would just run at them and try to knock them down to blow up the play. That's highly unusual. All right. That's, that's a very different way of playing linebacker. Dean is going to be a guy who's going to sit back, who's going to read things and then take off and and play sideline to sideline. So he's going to be a different style, but he's got the potential to be a pro bowl player. Certainly. We all thought he was going to be a first-round pick. I was shocked the Eagles got him in the third round. His tape is is a lot higher than that. But whether he becomes, in my mind, a Hall of Fame-type player, that's where I put Seth, I think that would be putting a lot of pressure on a young man. Pro Bowl potential, yeah, I would say he's got Pro Bowl potential. Uh, but uh, I, I, he's a player I can't wait to see on the field and see what he does. He's going to have a huge chip on his shoulder because of the fact he did fall to the third round. Yeah, Tommy, you mentioned the physicality of, of Jeremiah Trotter. That player really doesn't exist in the modern NFL. It's just the game has changed. TJ Edwards would be the closest to his style of play for the Eagles right now, and it's not close. But, yeah, I think they're two completely different linebackers. And that leads me to my next question, which is Jordan Davis. That's what Nicobe Dean needs. That's what he had at Georgia. He needs a guy to keep him clean. And that's where Jordan Davis comes in to not only um, N'Kobe Dean, but a lot of people, including the edge rushers. In theory, he's going to make things easier for others around him. A couple times over the past week, we've we've had guests, and I'm starting, I don't want to say get scared about this, but I see where they're going. And the fact that as the 13 overall, number 13 overall pick, there's going to be expectations. And Jordan Davis isn't going to be a stat guy. It's just not. He's not going to get a lot of sacks. He might be better than people expect, but he's not going to put up these big numbers. And he still might be really, really effective for the Eagles defense because of Hassan Reddick's getting loose, Josh Sweat's getting loose, Nicobe Dean's turning into a Pro Bowl linebacker. Is that too esoteric for football fans to understand? Or are we going so. down are we going down a bad avenue of saying this kid's the thirteenth overall pick, he better produce or they're gonna look down on him? There will be some fans, obviously. Hey, there's some fans that, that are, are never going to be happy, right? They get something in their head. They decide a player's no good. There's still people out there who think Donovan McDowell wasn't a good quarterback, right? Some people have agendas. Some people just 
just don't like a player. and They, they struggle with getting past their personal feelings. Uh, I think people were going to be able to – I think football fans are smarter than ever uh, because there's so much smart coverage out there uh, on, on the Internet, on NFL Network with some of the breakdowns they do. The team sites, if you watch the stuff that, that Fran Duffy does for the Eagle site, you know, you can understand the game at a, at a level you, you couldn't used to in the old days. And uh, you would have to be a, basically a coach or have access to coaches to understand it like that 30, 40 years ago. Now that stuff is out there for you to consume and, and to learn. Heck, you can see copies of playbooks and really know the coverages that are being taught. So I think fans are a little bit more nuanced now and can understand and, and we'll see him impact the games. And I think Jordan Davis will be a player that will – I think, like, if you go back to the old days of, like, Gilbert Brown in the mid-'90s, it was just a giant nose tackle for the, the Packers. And, uh, you know, he would make a play, and then he would uh, he would do a grave digger thing. He would sit there and grab, pretend like he had a yeah. shovel and, and throw yeah. dirt on somebody. You know, Packers fans saw him and appreciated him, even though he wasn't sacking a lot of guys. He was eating up a lot of blocks, allowing that defense to play at a high level. I think Davis can do some of that, but I think he's athletic enough that he'll make more plays than maybe you think. Uh, he's not going to have 10 sacks. Heck, if he gets four sacks, that's fine. But just affect the plays, <laughs> affect the quarterback, be disruptive, and help guys like Nicobe Dean run around and make plays. I think people will see that, and the defense will be good. Here's the reason why Jordan Davis will be evaluated a specific way, and it doesn't sound like it's going to play to Johnny Mack's favor. I'll ask you both. Who's the best defensive player in the National Football League? Aaron Donald. For I would probably say Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Uh, what position does he play? Defensive, defensive tackle. tackle. What position was he drafted in? 13th. 13th. And so by the got... way, by the way, Jody, this is not uh, Chip Kelly in revisionist history. And you can ask my buddy Damon Benning, who's on the air in Omaha. Uh, one of my few wins uh, in the draft, I said Aaron Donald right. was you, the best player in that draft. You, you mentioned that before, before he fell to number 13. And some people might say that Jordan Davis fell to 13 as well. Probably not as many as Aaron uh, Donald. But they're both defensive tackles. They were both selected number 13. When Jordan Davis's numbers don't come back, the stats don't come back like Aaron Donald. That's the way it's going to be judged. It'll be wrong. You're right, Mac. That That's not the way we should ju uh, judge him. They're not the same type of player. They won't be used the same. They won't be asked to do the same thing. But Eagle fans go, wait a minute. Aaron Donald was the 13th pick in the draft. And look at the stats yeah. he puts up. Jordan David doesn't even come close to that. Yeah, Tommy, I'm starting to get concerned because we had a couple guys. Chris Landry mentioned it. Um, who else? Somebody else, Jody. Um the expectations just are, are a little bit out of whack. And I kind of use it. Jody and I have this discussion with Derek Barnett. Now, different type of player. Derek Barnett's not a great player. But I always tell Jody, and I believe this, and I'll get your thoughts on this as well. If he was a fourth-round pick, everybody would be fine with Derek Barnett as a solid rotational player. But because he's, he's a, a, a number 14 overall pick, he's always going to be a disappointment. Always, no matter what he does, the expectations at that level of the draft are a real thing. And I'm just concerned the type of player Jordan Davis is, 
he's never going to be able to live up to those expectations. I hope you're right. I hope fans as a whole are getting more educated because he's not going to be asked to do that kind of stuff. He's going to be asked to engulf blockers like Gilbert yeah. Brown, Pat well, Williams, Jerry Ball. They'll do those different things. I, I will not completely agree with you there. You're talking about guys that were largely pure two gappers. The Eagles use some of that, but they also run some one gap. That's still a, probably more of what they do than anything. Yeah, one and a half guys. is what they call it. One and yeah, a half. Well, there, there's there's two things they do. There, yeah. There's, you know, when they go to a three-man front, then they're asking guys to eat up blocks and to protect the linebackers. And when they're in a traditional four-man front, whether it's in a nickel or a four-three look, and you've got your four guys, you're usually asking those guys to attack the single gap. And the thing with Jordan he is the most athletic defensive tackle in the history of the, the combine, right? So whereas guys like Gilbert Brown, Jerry Ball, whatever, those guys were big men that could move well. He is on a different level. So the Eagles are not going to have him do the same things that those guys did. They're going to cut him loose at times. Now, it won't be his primary job as to go get the quarterback every play. So comparing him to Derek Barnett, that, that's tough because Barnett, it's clear cut go get the quarterback. And he just doesn't do it enough. You are right. If he was a fourth round pick, people would be happy with him there. I, that I totally agree with. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that evaluations are flexible. Like if we go back to where Brandon Graham was looked at in 2014, five years into his career, uh, Brandon Graham was thought of as a, as a total failure. Yeah. Well, Brandon's a good, let me just follow up on that for a second. Okay. Tommy Brandon's a great example because I think Brandon is one of the most underrated players in Eagles history, even now, because he never reached 10 sacks. I mean, if you look at the film for 10 years, basically, this is one of the best edge players, defending run, um, rushing. He's not a finisher. Uh, you know, maybe he doesn't have the length. Uh, that was fair coming out. He's never been that great finisher. But I can't tell you how many times I've talked to coaches over the years, Tommy, and they would always start with play, uh, opposing offensive coaches. They always, we got to block Fletcher. We got to block Brandon. We can't, you know, they're, they're impossible to block at the height of their careers. You look at the pro football focus rankings every year, top 10, every year with Brandon Graham, amazing consistency. I don't think he's looked at, as the star player he is because he doesn't have the sack numbers. Uh, I think in the city of Philadelphia, Eagles fans, I think he's a beloved dude. And I think they really appreciate him. Uh, If you talk to just casual NFL fans, they'd say, yeah, he's more of a a solid player, but nothing more than that. Uh, So I think, I think that's, you're kind of right. But yeah, no, he's, he's really ended up having a very good career Halfway through, it, we sure, you know, he was relentlessly compared to JPP and Earl Thomas. Yep. Well, Tommy frozen up Tommy for frozen you, Jody. Up on us. That yeah. came out of nowhere. It's, uh, yeah, he was solid uh, the whole time, but it happened. Absolutely perfect. Then, boom, he just froze up on Yeah, him. the JPP and Earl Thomas, that Brandon had to live with that for years. JPP, we're talking about what you mentioned, Tommy, JPP and Earl Thomas. Brandon right. had to live with that for years. And I think it's ironic. Look, I think Earl's going to the Hall of Fame. So he's a great player. Sure. But I, I do think, and JPP's a great player as well. 
I do think it's ironic that Brandon outlasted both of them with right. their original teams, which is tremendous to me. Yeah, it, it, listen, we got to give Brandon a ton of credit for the person he is, for persevering and having just this this super positive outlook that every coach who's come in here has loved that guy. Loved oh, yeah. him, you know, because he could have given up. He could have been bitter. He could have, the way Eagles fans treated him those first years, he could have easily hated Eagles fans and said, get me the hell out of Philadelphia. City of brotherly love my butt. <laughs> and instead, he stuck th- stuck with it. It took the tough love that Eagles fans gave him, made something out of it. And of course, you know, then arguably the greatest player, a play in, in team history when he knocks that ball is from Tom Brady. We don't have a Super Bowl if he doesn't make that play. So thank God he did stick with it. And, and obviously the results were a legendary moment in organization history. All right, Tommy, I've asked this question of a couple guys we've had on over the last few weeks. Interested in your take on it, too. Uh, Eagles schedule, first five games at Detroit, home Minnesota, home Jacksonville, at Arizona. Um, Winnable games. That's not a murderer's row right there that they're going to be facing in the first five games. Oh, by the way, the sixth game would be the Cowboys. Um, If the Eagles are two and three, a lot of people think they should be at least, should certainly be three and two, maybe four and one. The diehards with the eagle colored glasses will say they're going to be five and oh. Um, but if they're two and three and they're not doing what they need to do to win games on both sides of the ball, it's not like they're losing games 42 38, it's not like they're losing games 14 13. Uh, it's it's it, the, the, the evaluation of play on both sides of the ball is pretty damn even. Who's the hot seat? Sirianni, Gannon, or the play caller, Shane Steiger. Uh, they're they're going to be feel. They'll all be feeling it. Some whose heat will be the the whose seat will be the hottest if the Eagles are two and three heading into that Cowboy game, game six. Well, Sirianni obviously because the head coach is always going to get the most uh, the most flack, you know, and deservedly so. He's the head coach. If things go great, he gets credit. If things don't go well, he deserves the blame. That's you know those guys. Every coach in NFL history was hired to be fired, right? There's very few guys that leave on their own terms. And so some guys, they last five years, some guys 10, some guys 20, some guys one and two. And so, you know, Sirianni had a terrific first season, showed us a lot and and made us think he's a good coach and can do some really good things with his team. But we'll find out because there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on him last year, right? The expectations were low. We thought the Eagles were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. And for them to, to, to have the season they did and uh, show the potential they did, you know, all of a sudden now there's going to be expectations and pressure. How will he handle it? How will the team handle it? And uh, based on what we've seen and heard in the offseason, it seems like he's just handling it fine. He doesn't seem caught up in the pressure of the hype. So that's a good that's a good thing. But <laughs> if things do go wrong, how will he handle that? You know, last year they got off to the 2-5 and five start. And he was able to weather that storm, right the ship, find some fixes, and get the team where it needed to be. So if they start slow, it's not the end of the world, but it wouldn't be a good sign because that is the weak part of the schedule. I'll tell you why it's a legit question. Because of last year, at 2-5, and five, there were just as many people second-guessing Gannon as there was uh, Sirianni. There well, was the de- just as much heat on the defensive yeah. quarter as there was on the head coach. He was getting scrutinized, critiqued. 
borderline buried here in town with Jonathan Gannon. So I think the same thing can happen again this year. I don't believe it's happening. I think Eagles going to be good, and we're not going to have to worry about it. <laughs> but if it goes bad, I'm telling you, Gannon will be under that same kind of scrutiny because as much as we say they've added weapons for Jalen Hurts, they've added weapons for the offense, Oh, they've added weapons for the defense, too. They spent a lot of money on uh, Hassan Reddick and Kaiser White and Bradbury. The defense is going to expect to be much better. Well, and if if so, if they're giving up a lot of points, and and for the the thing with Gannon that made it, it was was kind of doubled, it was gas on the fire, was that the results weren't good and the style wasn't good. Passive defense is just not something that sits well with fans. Mm -hmm. They can live with a blitz where you get beat for a long touchdown. But when you play passively and let a team march down the field and score a touchdown on you, and the opposing quarterback's completing 80% of his passes, that's death by a thousand cuts. And fans can't stand that. Take yeah, some especially in Philadelphia. Something. You Absolutely. mentioned Buddy Ryan. I mean, yeah, people want they want blitzing. They right. want pressure on the quarterback. No if, question about it. If you were to play creative coverages and be soft and things like that, that's fine, but the results better be right. If you have bad results and bad style, they're coming after you, and, and that's one where I... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There's not a lot to say in a person's defense when when it's and that's why we all were sitting there saying, hey, play, play more press coverage, blitz more, be more creative, be more aggressive, take some chance. Because if what you're doing isn't working, then you got to change a little bit. He did change a little bit and the defense got better. So uh yeah, if, if they start out, if they play the same way, then Gannon would deserve all kinds of criticism. It would it, would not be a good start. The results are always good. Whenever we have Tommy Lawler on the show, make sure you check out his blog, Eagles fans, Eagles. That's I G G L E S blitz.com. Tommy, always a pleasure, bud. We'll get you on before the season starts. Thanks for hopping on today. Okay. You guys take care. Thanks. That Tom. is Tommy Lawler, longtime Eagle beat writer wrote for uh, Eagles.com uh, does his Eagles blitz. I G G L E S. Uh, check that one out. Eagles fans. All right. Jody McDonald. And John McMullen coming back here. we got a good spot scheduled for hour number two. Our buddy Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus is going to join us. More coming up next here on Birds 365. News at 11 with Rick Williams. It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community, a sports roundup for the locals, and the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk champion? Really? 
<laughs> yes, really, don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, go to left. Fake a mom. Mama, go. Oh, mama. She did it. Again. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Guys, hopping on, looking forward to talking to Brad Spielberger from uh, Pro Football Focus, contributes for overthecap.com as well. He's going to jump aboard about uh, 15 minutes from now. Uh, a couple things I wanted to follow up on, JM, that uh, we talked about with Tommy Lawler, one of them being um, Jordan Davis at defensive tackle. I'm like you, my memory is. Is shot not as good as Tommy says he's got a great ego memory I remember enough but uh I can't remember back to last week for the guests we had on that we talked about with Jordan Davis yeah I I don't think it was Chris Landry but it was someone that we had on that I thought made a very fair point if Jordan Davis is going to live up to being the 13th pick in the draft I think he's got pro bowl talent and and will make pro bowls I think he's that good a player um but he's going to have to be close to a three down player. Yeah, There's, that was Chris. That was, definitely that was Chris. Chris. Okay. Yeah. Then I agree with Chris. Yeah. No defensive lineman plays every single snap except Aaron Donald. And he's the unicorn and we put yeah. him off to the side and nobody is going to be Aaron Donald again anytime soon. But there were other defensive tackles that play 90% of the snaps, yeah, 85% yeah. of the snaps. If he's going to live up to what his draft status says he's supposed to be, he's got to become that kind of guy. He can't be a guy who comes off the field every time you've got a passing down. If you get into second and and 13 because uh, you stop a guy in the backfield on, on first down, oh, get him off the field, it's a passing down. That's No, you don't use the 13th pick on a draft on someone like that. He's got to be a guy who's got to be more than a two down uh, player per, uh, per per set of downs 
not a hundred. Nobody's a hundred except Aaron Donald. But I do think he's got to be more than that, and I think he's capable of being that. Yeah, and, and you know, Chris is the one, and I wrote a story about it at JacobSports.com um, because of what Chris said. And by the way, I agree with Chris, and it started getting me a little bit, you know, scared because he is right in the fact that, and that's what I was trying to get. I'm not trying to compare. Jordan Davis and Derek Barnett as players. I'm just using expectation. There's a certain level of expectation when you're that high in the draft. And if you're not playing on third downs as a defensive tackle, you're never going to reach that expectation, no matter how dominant you are as, as a two down player. I, I agree with, with you with that Jody. I agree with Chris. And that's why I'm starting to say, man, you know, and and Tommy just talked about, well, he's not going to be Jerry Ball. He's not going to be Gilbert Brown. He's not going to be Pat Williams. These two down sort of run stuffing two gap players. And I get it because of what he saw last year. And I can't prove this yet, but I've been saying it throughout the show. And we'll see week one. I think, and I think very heavily that the Eagles are going to the Vic Fangio-style defense. And I think the first indication of that was uh, the shifting of the coaching staff, the edge rushers work with Jeremiah Washburn. Last year, they were all together with the defensive tackles with Tracy Rocker. Now all the interior, they've split them up. Um, and the, the off-ball linebackers, linebackers work with Nick Rollis. That's a key signal. That is a key signal that they're shifting philosophy. And if they are shifting philosophy, he is going to be, they call it one and a half gap. They don't call it two gap. And it's a little bit different than what the old school is. But basically, Jordan Davis is going to be asked in that type of system to engulf blockers and to open up things for the Kobe Dean, TJ Edwards, in the, in the back end, but also Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat. Yep. So you can't double team Hassan Reddick, and hopefully that explodes into this great defense. But the name I've used is Vita Vea. Like, I think that's what the Eagles want Jordan Davis to become. Would he be considered a success if he's Vita Vea? I would. Would be for me. You would. But let me let me ask you a question. I don't know if you can quickly look this up. If not, we'll get our buddy Brad Spielberger to comment on it when he joins us in less than 10 minutes. How many downs does Vita Vea play? What's the percentage? Because I, I know we're going back to what uh, uh, Chris said last uh, week. But, I'll, I'll um, look it up. That's, real and, quick. and I know just being on the field shouldn't count, but it does. Yeah, when you no, are talking about defensive linemen, how many downs the coaching staff had you on the field, snap in and snap out, does tell you a lot, and I think is a fair uh, way to interpret how well the player is playing, what the coaching staff thinks of them. Well, I'd I'm like glad... to know what Vita Vea play, uh, Vita Vea's percentage of snaps played is. I'm, I'm, I don't have the percentage, but I'm glad you brought that up, Jody. Because you mentioned, okay, Aaron Donald's a unicorn, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 1,261 defensive snaps for Aaron Donald. 1,261. Number two at 1,000 
Dead on a thousand. Oh, so there's are, a drop off of 261 snaps from the first guy to the second yeah, guy. Who is Cameron Hayward? That truly who, is a unicorn. And also God. Greg Gaines uh, from the Rams, a thousand. Uh, so they're both at a thousand. Vita Bea, six seventy. Yeah, so see, he's he's that's close to a two down play, and that's what I think he's going to play, Jody. That's what I think Jordan did. That's what I think they want Jordan did. And by the way, let me make this very clear because people are going to take this the wrong way. I think, and I've said this before, I think Jordan Davis is going to be their most impactful defensive addition. And Tone just put up fifty six, so that's fifty six percent of the snaps for Tampa for Vita Bay. Yeah, that's, 56%. That's, and that's where I think guy. he that's where I think he's going to be. That's what I think they want. Will that be considered successful? I'm starting to wonder if the fan base will consider that successful. I I think there's this mentality. I talk about it all the time. I talk about it with Brandon. You know, sacks, 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 sacks. He's not here to get sacks. He's here to get Hassan Reddick sacks. But is that too esoteric? I don't know. I'm starting to think it is. It shouldn't be, but it may be. You know, I, hear, I hear where you're going. Um, point you made that I want to uh, see if you've uh, got the answer to this. I don't even know if you do. It might not even be a fair question. Um, the fact that they realigned their coaching staff and their meeting rooms with their defensive line this year tells you a little something, something without them ever getting out there as to what they want the defensive line to be and how they're going to deploy them and, and line them up and use them. What happens with two guys I want to ask you about? Milton Williams and Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham's a defensive end, has been his entire career, but is a guy they'll absolutely swing inside and have him play defensive tackle on given plays. We think of him as a defensive end, but he plays a lot of DT. Last year, Milton Williams was drafted as a defensive tackle, but they had both uh, Hargrave and, and, and Fletcher already there, so they want to get him on the field. Defensive end, Brandon Graham goes down. Derek Barnett's not good enough. Well, why don't we move him outside a little bit? And they did that. Milton Williams played some defensive end last year. Do they have to attend both meetings? Do they go back and forth? Do no, they schedule yeah. one before uh, the other so the crossover guys can actually get involved yeah. in both meetings? I, I've asked about that specifically. Actually, I asked Hassan Reddick. I, I asked him. The, it was it was funny because Hassan was talking to us, and somebody asked him uh, something about a scheme, and he said, I can't talk about scheme. I, I can't talk about scheme. And then I was up next, and I said, well, I'm going to ask anyway. I said, Hassan, you know, what's your day look like? Are you working with Tracy Rocker or are you working with Nick Rollis? thinking, are, are you working with the defensive line coach or are you working with the linebackers coach? And then he probably slipped up. Gannon probably got mad at him. He said, no, I work with Jeremiah Washburn. And I'm like, what? But, but, but this, and since that point, we've gotten, you know, we've kind of bared down and they added this positional coach who was working with what Gannon calls the overhang players. So it's basically the defensive ends and the Sam linebackers, which are Hassan Reddick, uh, Patrick Johnson, and Kyron Johnson. Um, and then the Brandon Gramps, Josh Sweats, Derek Barnett's. 
they all work with Jeremiah Washburn. The interior guys, they work with Tracy Rocker. That's the Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox's, um, Javon Hargrave, Milton Williams. And then you have the all-ball linebackers working with Nick Rollis. Um, clear shift, clear shift in philosophy, which indicates they're doing something different. And that something different is Vic Fangio and more Brandon Staley, to be honest. Brandon Staley's version of Vic Fangio's defense. Um, that's what I think is going to happen. If I'm wrong, I'll show up after week one and say I'm wrong. But I think very heavily that's going to happen. And when I hear, you know, people like, um, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about Tommy, that's all they've seen. And they think Jordan Davis is going to play like Fletcher Cox or Javon Hargrave because that's what they saw last year. They didn't have Jordan Davis last year. They didn't have a player to do what they want to do with Big Bangio's defense. Now, will there be times they'll use a traditional four-man front? Yeah, sure. But in that instance, I think it's going to be Fletcher and Javon. They're really, really good. So getting back to your question about Milton Williams, Brandon Graham, and Brandon's already said this. He said he's acknowledged he's not going to play as much as he's used to. Um, they're kind of the odd men out right now, Milton Williams and 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 Brandon Graham from a from a rep standpoint. It's tremendous depth. It's a good problem to have. Um, how do you get everybody on the field? The answer is you can't. And certain guys are going to have to take a step back. At this stage of his career, probably not that big of a deal for Brandon. For a young player like Melton Williams, maybe it's not the best thing in the world. But bottom line is Jordan Davis has got to be out there. Fletcher Cox has got to be out there. Javon Hargrave's got to be out there. You got a good fourth defensive tackle, but you know, you're talking maybe 20% of the reps. Maybe. Right. And he's a guy you might be able to finagle an answer out of. If you try and get one out of Brandon Graham. Brandon's been there, done that, too smart. He's not going to tell you if he's meeting with the inside guys or the outside guys. You might be able to sucker an answer out of Milt Williams. Uh, Brandon's already admitted it, too, because he had to. It's out there now. So Brandon has already admitted he works with Jeremiah Washburn. Because we asked that question as well, because of what you brought up, Jody. Uh, he he plays both, right? He's, yeah. he's picked inside. So we've asked him that question. Who are you working with? What do you do? Do you split your time? No, strictly with Washburn. So, you know, but they've so all do said. We, so do we read into that? He'll be doing less shifting inside than he has in previous probably, years. Probably. I would. I would. And think about it. You got four guys. I mean, what do you need a fifth? Now, injuries could obviously change all of this and all of the players said at some point Fletcher said this as well from the other end of the spectrum from working with Tracy Rocker at some point we'll come together as a group as it gets closer uh, to the regular season and have meetings to sort of be on the same page but right now for technique and fundamentals and all that stuff they split the rooms for a reason um, and that reason is a defensive shift is coming, and it's all because they were able to get Jordan Davis. 
is a reason, a, and I shouldn't say the only reason, or maybe not even the number one reason, but a reason why Brandon Graham won't be moving inside uh, as much as he has gone in years gone by. Um, Derek Barnett's not going to force that. Uh, if Barnett were playing well with Josh Sweat, we got to get Brandon on the field. Let's give him a uh, couple uh, reps inside. Let's move him into time. No, Brandon Graham won't be forcing. You know, here's Barnett. an interesting question that might upset people. Uh, if you're doing a prop, who gets more reps, Brandon Graham or Derek Barnett? That's an interesting question to me. That is an interesting question because I think they're going to default to Derek Barnett. I think that's going to upset people. Now, I think Brandon's a bet. Yeah, I think Brandon's a better player. I think Brandon will ultimately prove he's healthy enough and will usurp him. But I think to start because of his age, because of the injury, I think it's going to upset some people. If he is uh, healthy, which we don't know. And yeah. I saw a feature on him today. He's getting his work in, more power to him. He's really uh, pumped up to be ready for this season. Uh, if he is healthy and Derek Barnett plays as much as Brandon Graham, yeah, they've got some answers to give to an Eagle fan like Gertrude. No, that, that, that can't happen. That can't play itself out this year on the East. 34, Jody. 34. 34 what? That's how old Brandon is. Coming off an Achilles. I, at 44, I'd rather see Brandon Graham out there <laughs> than Derek Barnett. <laughs> All right, uh, Mac and Mac guys, quickie timeout. Come back. Brad Spielberg from uh, Pro Football Focus and OverTheCap.com going to jump aboard with us here on Birds. News at 11 with Rick Williams. It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community, a sports roundup for the locals, and the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk Champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, I go to left. Thank you, Mama. Mama, go up, up, up. She did it. Again. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh-huh.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Streaming in here on Birds 365, John McCone, Jody McDonald, joined by Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus, uh, does contributing for OverTheCap.com as well. How's your summer going there, big guy? It's going pretty well. How about you guys? Doing well, Brad. Good to see you. Now, tell the truth. You did your top 32 contracts in the NFL. You're kissing a little you-know-what with the Eagles fans. You know, they can be vicious if you say bad things about the Eagles. They sure can. I mean, look, the number one thing they say is how Howie Roseman's not a good GM. I put him in my top five GMs as well. So I'm yeah. kind of kissing their butt and also, you know, I guess disagreeing with them in some respects. As yeah, well. I put Howie in my top five GMs. I never got so much hate, Brad. Never <laughs> got so much hate in my life. I believe it. All right, Brad, uh, you did put Jordan Mylata's contract as the best valued contract in the National Football League, and three of us agree Howie Roseman should get a ton of credit for that. What? Uh, how high is high for Mylotta? Are we talking about uh, five years straight, Pro Bowl-type uh, production, all-pro stuff? How good do you think Mylotta could be to make his contract the best value contract in the National Football League? Yeah, I really think he has the ability to be one of, if not the best tackles in the NFL. Um, you know, I discussed in that ranking that ba- that was based off of 700 snaps actually on an NFL field. They went ahead and gave him that early extension. I remember hearing he was looked like the best player in camp um, that offseason before this extension, the four-year $64 million deal, which will now start to play on this year. And I I recall hearing that, and and a lot of people thought, you know, as you guys know, last year the Eagles were not going to be a good football team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And I one person say, being the best player on that practice field doesn't mean a whole lot. And obviously, you know, they ended up being a playoff team. And no, but uh, long story short, I think he'd be one of the best tackles in football because he's six foot eight and 360 whatever pounds and is really good in the run game and as a pass protector it's not like he's a one-dimensional guy you know Jeff Statlin the offensive line coach there has worked wonders the last several years with a lot of players I think he has room to grow and is already you know graded out for us as one of the best tackles in football uh now there was another eagle in your top 32 but before we get to that i want to go into howie's philosophy of sort of identifying players you as you mentioned early trying to get them done early from this perspective uh brad we had andrew brant on uh last week was it last yeah last week jody and he mentioned a little something that NFL teams were a little bit upset with the Eagles over the A.J. Brown extension Um, from the perspective of, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill was on his third deal, Devontae Adams, whatever, and, and he was still on his rookie deal waiting for his extension. And that upset teams a little bit, which I can understand. But this is typical Eagles M.O., 
They just did it with somebody outside the organization. They had to pick them up, acquire them. Because if you go back to last year, the 218 class, it was not only Mylotta, it was Josh Sweat, it was Avante Maddox, it was Dallas Goddard. They got them done early. So if you think about if the Eagles drafted A.J. Brown in 2019, he would have been up for that early extension before this season. So they beat it by a couple months. But if I say to you, teams were upset about the A.J. Brown extension, do you agree with that? Or do you think that's just sour grapes? Not at all, because there are teams that are not willing to kind of put their necks out and be proactive and be the first team to market. There are a few teams, the Eagles being one of them, that don't just kind of let things settle around them and then go ahead and, and advance negotiations and get these deals done. They should thank the Eagles all the time for establishing markets and then they can react to them and go back to their player and say, here's now where it's at because a couple of these smart teams that are actually proactive and do their own work um, you know, have kind of established where we're at. So I get what they're saying. I understand, you know, where they're coming from in terms of him getting that $25 million per year value, um, even though the last year the deal does have a kind of a big inflated salary. But nevertheless, you also have to consider when you trade for a player, especially when you trade top-end capital like a first-round pick, that player adds a lot of leverage. The Eagles, again, were smart to not wait a season like we're looking at with Orlando Brown right now, holding the Chiefs hostage, but Jamal Adams did with the Seattle Seahawks. You go down the list um, of players that were acquired for first-round picks or more, and then the team waited a season, that player played well, and then they took them you know, hostage and, and held them for ransom. So for Philadelphia to agree to that deal as a part of the trade is, again, a sharp move. Yes, it was a you know top-of-market deal, but now – Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, maybe Terry McLaurin, all those guys have a new market they're looking for and are pointing to that contract. That's probably the teams that are pissed off at them. But, you know, if I'm the Eagles, who cares? All right. Uh, here's who cares a year down the road. What kind of numbers does A.J. Brown have to put up this year to justify the contract? Where we go, come back next year and go, yeah, see, Howie Roseman ahead of the game. He was thinking outside the box. He ended up getting a bargain. Or what was Howie Roseman thinking? He got ahead. Now, A.J. Brown. What kind of numbers did J.J. Brown have to put up uh, for us to say, yes, just another uh, thinking ahead, Howie Roseman uh, beat the rest of the market type deal? You know, after all that praise, I will say, I think there's more risk in this move than a lot of folks are considering. I want to say A.J. Brown has had both of his knees operated on already at this point. Um, he obviously misses time pretty much every season. Never, you know, the whole season, but he has not played, if I am if I remember correctly, a full 16-game slate uh, through his first three years in the league. So there is definitely some risk involved. I would say this. He's got to be, you know, one of the better receivers on a per-game basis, putting up you know, a couple of hundred yard outings and, and scoring the football. But I also think the big thing here is he can be your number one X up on the line going up against press coverage. And that enables you to then get more value out of a Devonte Smith, obviously, you know, a first round pick in his own right to then move him around, to not be able to have number one corners going up against him, to have him off the line of scrimmage and not facing as much press coverage and, and getting those free releases and using his athleticism and his, his route running ability that we all talk about so much, you know, that will be amplified. So, yes, he needs to produce in his own right, 
but I also think he is a force multiplier for this offense in that everyone else around him can eat a little bit more because of the, the attention he commands. Well, I, I would go my concern with, with AJ's contract, Brad, as you mentioned, Devontae Smith. Now it's down the road. You don't have to worry about it for a couple of years. But if Devontae Smith develops into the player a lot of people think he could be, including myself and Jody, um, don't know where you are with Devontae. But if he turns into a star player, can you pay two wide receivers in the modern NFL at a top tier level. So it would be going into so so two more years would be required until he's due for that early extension because he's a first round pick. Obviously, the third year option or the fifth year option, excuse me, um, is at your disposal as well. So you could stagger it to where entering AJ Brown's third contract year would be the first year of, of a potential new extension for Devontae Smith. Or you could say, look, we're going to let you play out that fourth season because we have that fifth year option and you'd still be going into, you know, another year of cheaper control. So I think it is tough to pay two receivers 20 million plus dollars or, you know, even even 15 million plus to two guys. I think Seattle right now with DK Metcalf is probably struggling thinking about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf without even knowing who their quarterback is and all those considerations. But I think the four-year value, the four-year term of AJ Brown's deal enables them to basically, when Smith comes up, if he grows in the player we think he can be, they can then kind of phase, you know, AJ Brown out and then bring in Devontae Smith's money in. All right, Brad. The other guy that you had on the Eagles in your top 32 value quarterback rankings on PFF was Dallas Goddard. And again, the Eagles seem to be ahead of the curve. The uh, tight end market hasn't exploded like the wide receiver market, but it's grown pretty damn quickly with guys getting franchise tags, which I'm not sure they're, in my evaluation, franchise-type players. Why do you think the Goddard deal is as good as it is? Well, you, you nailed it right there. I mean, for David and Joku to sign a deal that's just below Dallas Goddard, um, you know, it's crazy. I mean, Dallas Goddard is a better player in every facet of football, is more productive as a receiver and is a better blocker in the run game. Um, and, and so, again, them and the Ravens with Mark Andrews are smart to get those deals done. I also think, you know, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, kind of like Gronk back in the day, they are obviously probably the best tight ends in football right now, and their deals are suppressing the market. And, and I think you know, the Eagles were smart to get those deals done when they did because eventually someone is going to come through and break the glass ceiling on that tight end market. But for now, to get them below $15 million per year, they're making less than, you know, guys like Hunter Renfro as slot receivers. We're not even talking about, you know, A.J. Browns and outside X guys. We're talking about slot receivers, um, which are arguably tight ends that don't have to block as much and, and kind of have similar responsibilities on the inside. So, yeah, just again, getting ahead of the market before maybe Gasicki or now maybe Dal Dalton Schultz in Dallas try to break through that $15 million per year number that George Kittle has. Eventually someone's going to, but, you know, Philly has a couple years of control left on a really good player in Dallas Goddard. Um, want to look at your top five as a whole when you look at the best contracts and you have Mike Evans from Tampa Bay, Darren Waller from Las Vegas, uh, Cortland Sutton from Denver, uh, Rob Havenstein, the offensive tackle from the Rams. Uh, and I'll even throw Patrick Mahomes because I think obviously that's an interesting one at number six. And I agree. I people don't realize how team friendly that deal was. Um, 
if there's a theme to that top five, Brad, what is it? And it, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, where we're talking about sort of the Eagles getting ahead, this seems to be guys on their contract, you know, overplaying their value. Or 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 I've mistaken that. I think it's a little bit of both. Like, for example, Cortland Sutton, I mean, the Broncos, to sign him to an extension in November of last year, and there have now been 12 players at wide receiver that have signed bigger contracts than him in the last six months. Um, You know, that's, again, a timing thing where that was just remarkably well done by their new general manager and George Payton. But, yeah, for, for Mike Evans, for example, I think part of that, too, is not only has he outplayed it, he's never had – fewer than a 1,000 receiving yeah. yards going into his eighth NFL season, but also the wide receiver market explodes, um, and he's still on that deal. I, I do think it's possible he signs an extension before the season, especially now with his teammate and Chris Godwin making $20 million a year, and he's still on that old deal. But, yeah, get it, early is a huge part of it. Pl- outplaying it is a huge part of it. And then, of course, just, you know, if the market explodes and you're still on your original deal, it just gets better and better from a value standpoint. That applies to Rob Havenstein at right tackle. He also was signed right before that market took off. And now there's a hand, maybe a half dozen guys making double what he's making. I, Brad, I uh, need you to clarify something for me. You know how great you are with the cap. We'll find out if you understand the penalty aspects of the NFL is tied to the cap as well. Because this whole Deshaun Watson thing is confusing me. Uh, was reported this week that if the NFL sticks to his guns, as it leaked out this week, they'd like a minimum of a year on the sidelines for Deshaun Watson. And hearing starts today, and we'll get more info on it over the next week to two weeks. But if they get the year, or if they had agreed to a year, because they did negotiate a settlement, they tried, neither side could agree, so that's why they're going for this hearing. But they could have negotiated out ahead of time. And if it had been a full year, then the contract would toll that this year wouldn't even count that he would still be under contract for the next five years, starting in 2023 rather than 2022. If that's the case, who and how is the fine being paid this year? Because he would be held responsible for his contract. That's how he would be fined. That's what he would lose, which we were told is only like the veteran minimum and all the rest of it is in a signing bonus. How does all that work? If, if the contract doesn't count, if he's out for the entire year and you just say, all right, contract doesn't pick up to 2023, how is he paying the fines? Who is paying the fines this year for the year that he's on the sidelines? Yeah, so a fine would not necessarily be taking back or recouping money owed in his actual NFL contract. It would be a fine that he has to, you know, find that cash wherever he has it. Obviously, he's still getting the forty. Right, but let me ask you a question. Fine. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody do it that way? It's my understanding when a player has to play pay a fine, it comes directly from the team. The team takes it out of his contract. They they don't cut him the check that he usually gets for his salary on a given year. So you tell me Deshaun Watson's going to have to get out a pen and write a check for the National Football League this year? Yeah, so he still received a $45 million signing bonus. Um, So that money is still his. Even if the contract tolls, it's not like the cash owed for that would get pushed back as well. So like you said, it could come from the team. 
But no, in that scenario where it's a, a direct fine under the personal conduct policy to a player, yeah, it's just come up with this cash and pay us this cash. Okay. You obviously have it on hand. And then, yeah, that, that is correct, that he would basically – and maybe the Browns thought about this because it obviously benefits them. Well, they they still get five it. years yeah. of control you know, starting next year, so they actually don't lose out on a year of the contract. They, in reality, keep them even longer, um, which maybe you could argue then like a 12-game suspension could arguably worst-case scenario – because they flush this season and don't get control in 2028 or whatever year they would add by the contract tolling. Yeah, I I don't know if Andrew Barry wanted to sign Deshaun Watson. I'm I'm kind of sure that uh, Kevin Stefanski wasn't in love with it, but I know Andrew thought about it. He thought about all these implications. Um, just a tremendously smart cap guy, and obviously he was here in Philadelphia for a short period. Um. I also want to talk about Deshaun from a different perspective, Brad. We talked about the Eagles upsetting some people. Well, the Browns upset a lot of people in the NFL. And with Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert coming down the pike, this escrow escrow rule of guaranteed money, how dramatically does it affect the league as a whole? Because I think a lot of people think about owners – and thinking they're all rich, and they are, but there are different levels of rich in the NFL. And a guy like Jimmy Haslam's worth billions. Um, here in Philadelphia, Jeffrey Lurie, there's much more well-heeled owners, David Tepper, Stan Kroenke, but um, the Spanoses, uh, the Bengals, the, the Browns, they don't have – Oh, we got to come up with 250 million. We got to give our quarterback 50 million up front and put 200 million more in escrow at that moment. Is that possible? Does that shift the 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 landscape that the salary cap was supposed to cure? In other words, keep that even playing field. Does that shift it to a little bit more uneven? Because they're going to have to take out loans. I think it does more in theory than actual practice. So like you said, I mean, there's simply probably no chance that the Chargers or or Bengals will agree to a fully guaranteed deal extending into year three, four, five, you know, maybe year three because it's a quarterback, but certainly not the fourth and fifth year. Um, I do not think they established a precedent that everyone's going to go after now. I still think the precedent will be the rolling guarantee structure that we saw with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen where, you know, you're in 2022, your 2024 guarantees kick in and so on and so forth. So you're still protected multiple years down the road, but that kind of circumvents the necessity to get all this capital and all this cash and put it into escrow. Because like you said, those owners, their main source of income is the team itself. They're not independently wealthy, like a Stan Kroenke, like a Jeffrey Lurie, they can just throw money, you know, if they need to. So I, I think, like I said, more in theory in that the veil of, you know, hey, we can't you know give you this guarantees five years down the road because this escrow thing prevents us from doing so. The Haslam's kind of blew that out of the water, right? I mean, they gave literally more than double. Aaron Rodgers set the record with $101 million fully guaranteed at signing, and Deshaun Watson a couple weeks later, <laughs> $230, you know, more than double yeah. that. So it kind of takes the veil away, but – Will it establish a precedent that other players point to and say, I know you can do it, so you have to do it? No, I really don't think so. Um, and especially those owners, they just simply cannot do it. But real quick follow-up, if you're if you're the agent for, for Joe or Justin Herbert, 
I mean, don't you have to go in there and say, okay, he got 230. I, I got to start at 235. 110%. Yes, you will ask for it because then when you don't get it, you'll say, well, I'm conceding on this, so you're going to give me this instead, and you'll get all sorts of great cash payout structures. And like I said, you know, the rolling guarantees, you'll say, well, all right, then in 2025, I want my 2028 money to then kick in and become guaranteed and stuff like that. So yes, they will absolutely, you'd be negligent as an agent not to come in and argue that at the outset, um, even knowing you're not going to get it hundred percent. Brad, don't know how many of those we have on the stream right now know this, but I know this. And if I didn't bring it up, I think I'd be negligent to them. Washington commanders, 10 wins. What, what did you the Washington Commanders are going to win 10 games this year? You know that Carson Wentz is going to be their quarterback this year, right? How'd you come up with 10 wins for Washington? Yeah, so I, I am higher on the team than a lot of people. Um, and I'm, you know, <laughs> like I said in a follow-up tweet, there's no way that blows up in my face, right? Um, you know, look, I, I, I think on, on this show, it's going to, yes. Well, for sure. Yeah, no, that I expected, that I expected. Yeah, I mean, look, Carson Wentz obviously – um, you know, was awful his last year in Philadelphia. I think last year he wasn't good, and he ne never put the team on his back. But I don't think he was as bad as people are making him out to be. He's become kind of a game manager, not really going to elevate the talent around him. But if there is talent around him, I think he can be okay. And I think people are kind of underestimating that roster around him. Obviously got to extend Terry McLaurin, but it's a good offensive line. They would have good weapons if Terry is back. And the defense was just so bad last year. Has to be at least closer to league average, all the talent they have around them. Um, look, if they win six games, I wouldn't be surprised either. You know, we've seen guys like Alex Smith come out and say, the fact there's a new scandal and all these distractions every single week yeah. does not help. And that's currently obviously at the forefront of their minds with Dan Snyder, you know, dodging subpoenas or whatever he's doing. Um, but look, as if from a pure talent standpoint on the football field, I think it's a pretty talented roster. Yeah, I'm with you, Brad. I, I think, and I've talked about their defensive line. Now, Chase Young hasn't lived up to expectations, but, you know, he's still good when he was healthy. Uh, and obviously, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat was hurt last year as well. Tremendous talent up front on that side of the football. But yeah, man, off the field. I mean, they're dealing with so much stuff. I, I don't know how Ron Rivera keeps it together. Um but I do think they're more talented than people, um, most people think. That I would agree on. I'll, I'll leave it here with you. Follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Read him at Pro Football Focus. Does a tremendous job over the cap as well. I, I we, we talk about the Eagles all the time being very sort of proactive and, and forward thinking when it comes to contracts. When you're putting together your top contracts, did you notice any other teams consistently good or who are the teams that are most consistently good when it comes to contracts and manipulating the cap? Yeah, the Buffalo Bills are also extremely proactive. You know, Tredavious White got signed, I want to say, a week before Jalen Ramsey, and it was $17.25 million per year for White. And then, you know, Ramsey blew the market up right after. Matt Milano at linebacker they signed right before Darius Leonard and Fred Warren, all those guys. 
Um, you know, I could go on a list of a couple names there and the Baltimore Ravens as well. I mentioned earlier, we're talking about Dallas Goddard. They did the same thing with Mark Andrews. Um, they've done it with a couple other guys as well. So in terms of proactivity and getting out ahead and trying to get guys signed early, uh, those teams, you know, are the, are the ones that come to mind right away. Yeah, uh, the Washington defensive line will be good if one of them doesn't decapitate the other on the sideline like they tried <laughs> to do last year. And their offensive line is pretty damn good except they lost their best player in Brandon Sheriff. Uh, so, yes, I disagree with you, Brad. I, if you want nine and a half over, I'll cover whatever you want <laughs> on the commanders coming up this season. I just don't think they're – What odds you give me? Uh, uh, yeah, I got to give you odds because most <laughs> places have them at like six and a half, where they should be. So we'll, we'll negotiate that later. Um, we talked about uh, Jalen Hurts uh, earlier in the uh, show. And the fact that uh, you can't get a great read on this guy as a practice player because they blow the ball dead in practice. And that's a big part of Jalen Hurts' game. Everyone is expecting a step-up season and for him to be better. How much do you think that better is going to include running the football as much as he did last year? I, if they're going to throw it, that means he's going to individually run it less. That is one of the strengths he has. After Lamar Jackson, he's probably the second best running quarterback in the National Football League. How do you think that balance is going to work this year with the Eagles to get the right number of throws in for Jalen to show that he's that much better for the Eagles to move the ball that much more efficiently, but also not take his strength away from him because he can make plays with his legs. How challenging do you think that's going to be for the Eagles this year? Yeah, it is a tough balance because you obviously want to protect him. You don't want him to have to use his legs all the time because in theory he's throwing the ball well and moving the ball through the air. I would say that the goal really is to, you know, let his scrambling ability as opposed to his designed running ability kind of take over and give him the green light to say, if nothing's available and you're kind of maybe you're rolling out or it's play action or whatever the case may be, take off if you want to. Because like you said, that is a big part of your value. It's a big aspect of why you're a good quarterback. But no, you do not want him to still be known by the end of the season as one of the better running quarterbacks and for that to be a big part of his value. If that's still the narrative, I would say that's not a good thing long term for him or the Philadelphia Eagles. At a certain point, he's got to be a guy that can go into Tampa Bay in the playoffs and use his arm to win them a game. You can't rely on a running quarterback, you know, all the time against top defenses and in, in big games. BS, great stuff. We appreciate it. Whenever you come on, thanks for jumping on today. We're certainly going to get you on before the year starts. Enjoy the rest of your summer, bud. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. That is Brad Spielberger from uh, Pro Football Focus and also uh, still uh, does some contributing work for OverTheCap.com. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We still got 10 minutes left. We'll come back. Put a big bow on the show here on Birds 365. News at 11 with Rick Williams. 
It's the team you trust to bring it all together. The stories that impact your community. A sports roundup for the locals. And the AccuWeather forecast you depend on. Action News at 11 with Rick Williams. All right, did you know I was the Mommy Slam Dunk champion? Really? <laughs> yes, really, don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. So go to right, go to left. Fake them out. Mama, go up, up, up. She did it. Again. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Your Mega Mac guys coming back to uh, wrap up a Tuesday edition of Birds 365. Go ahead. I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again here at the end. Hit that like button. Give us a little love uh, we could use. Help with our algorithm, whatever the hell that means. Um, and we thank Brad Spielberger and, and Tommy Lola for hopping on. Uh, yeah, I like Brad a lot. And he's great whenever he comes on. He's way overboard on the commanders. The They're commanders, baby. Oh, the commanders no, are not going to be good. I just looked up their uh, schedule last year. Could you forget? You remember every single game, but I remember every single commander game. Uh, start of last season, they won one, lost one, won one, lost one, lost four in a row. They ran into that same tricky part of the schedule thing that the Eagles did. New Orleans, Kansas City, Green Bay, Denver, uh, at Denver. Well, the Eagles won in Denver. That's why the Eagles were better than a team like the Commanders last year. Then they actually ripped off four in a row, including beating Tampa, like the Eagles won at Carolina, beat Seattle, um, and uh, they beat Vegas, which the Eagles couldn't do last year. Uh, so they lost four in a row. Then they won four in a row and then finished out the year losing to Dallas, Philadelphia, Dallas, and Philadelphia. Four weeks in a row, played the Cowboys and the Eagles each week, Two teams over four weeks lost every single one of them. And the fact that they beat the Giants, who had completely tanked by the end of the season in the last game, means nothing to me. So the Giant win for this uh, – last year they were the commanders. or No, last year they were the football team. This year they're the commanders. Um, that means nothing. Same well, way the Eagle that, lost. You know, it, it, it's like a baseball, you know, what is it? Hope springs eternal spring training, Jody. 
you know, this time of year, everybody's got hope, right? So if you're a Washington fan, what you're saying is, well, we got Gilbert Gray playing quarterback. You know, they had all the COVID issues. You know, Young was out, Sweat was out. So you're saying, all right, we'll get these players back. Uh, we have at least a competent NFL quarterback in, in Carson Wentz, although, you know, maybe some people disagree with that. By the way, Mike Kay, our buddy, had Taylor Heineke as the best backup quarterback in the NFL um, in his list in the, the, you know, it's list season. I think Gardner Minshew, by the way, was number two on Mike Kay's list of backup quarterbacks. Um, so, you know, I mean, I – I I scratched the Garrett Gilbert games. What it was Garrett Gilbert, right? I don't even remember who was playing quarterback. I, I you Which know, what are we talking about? Uh, the Eagles played him. Yes. Yeah, they it played was, Garrett Gilbert. Yeah, Garrett Gilbert. Um, yeah, you're not going to win that football game. Was that? That's like you saying week seven, uh, week eighteen with the Eagles, which I agree with you. Doesn't count. That doesn't count either, though. You know. That, yeah, but that, at least the other Redskins were uh, available to play. The Eagles sat all their starters, not just their quarterback, all of their starters. Well, you get team. you get my point, though. I mean, it's not a a reasonable expectation to win a game with Garrett Gilbert, and I believe they signed him that week uh, because they had to do the COVID hysterics and all that kind of stuff. So not only was he a bad third string quarterback, but they didn't even have time with him on top of it. So look. I'm just saying they should be better. Um, Ten wins? No, I wouldn't agree. Just from the having to deal with the Daniel Snyder angst uh, every single day, I think that's bad for an organization. But we'll talk about the commanders tomorrow because we have Will Hobson who broke the Daniel Snyder sort of, you know, paying $1.6 million for sexual misconduct allegations and heading off to France. So, He'll be here to talk about the Washington Commanders. Um, to, maybe we'll call it Commanders 365 tomorrow. Now, we'll talk plenty of Eagles as well. We will not. Um, and, uh, shoot, there was one other point. I oh, uh, backup quarterbacks. Did Michael K count uh, Baker Mayfield in those backup quarterbacks? Or does because it looks like Deshaun Watson not going to play this I, year. I don't think he did. I think he had Jacoby Brissett in there, so I okay. think he was uh, yeah. assuming. And Brissett was like six or seven, um, which is about right. Which, I yeah, yeah, I got no problem with that. But uh, So Baker Mayfield isn't a starter, but he isn't a backup. I he's guess he's in, just, in a different category. It's just he's in, in never, yeah. never land. Maybe but, he had him as a starter, I don't know, because of uh, Deshaun being suspended. Who knows? But he hasn't been suspended yet. That's an amazing no. thing that we already consider him suspended, even though he hasn't been. But suspended. he is going to be suspended. Just a matter of how long. Just a matter of how long. And oh, by the way, if the independent arbitrator, uh, Judge Robinson, who is not back, really independent, but yes, go ahead. Uh, she is independent. We'll find out after a ruling how independent she is. On paper, right now, she's independent. Some people believe. It will not yeah, come that, down you're that correct. I should have explained it. She is independent. What I mean is she does not have control over the the final suspension. So right. that's what I meant. I don't want to impugn Judge Robinson as the the tree guys are starting to go. And by the way, flintreeservices.com if you need tree work done. 
they're a new sponsor. Get, get, get that Sports. plug in, J Mac. And also uh, Major League Moving. Major League Moving official sponsor of JacobSports.com. So get all those plugs in as well. I lost my train of thought with the tree people. What was I saying? You were talking about uh, Judge Robinson not being independent. Oh, she here's, is independent. Here's the but, thing that shocked the you-know-what out of me. I fi- I found this out last night. Shame on me. There's a couple things I learned this week that I should have already known. Her time as the independent arbitrator of uh, uh, behavior in the National Football League has already expired. That she was brought in on a two-year a, a two-year agreement. <clears throat> two years have come and gone. So yeah, either um, side can with a 120-day notice say, Oh, the hell with you, you're out. And and turn around and fire that person. Oh, yeah. She's not even in charge of her own job anymore. That she can be fired at any point by either side, the players association and or the NFL, because she's been on a job for two years and hasn't done anything. I, I, you know, to me, that's a big conspiracy theory. I mean, they could, yes, uh, the union or the NFL can give her four months notice, essentially. And in theory, if the NFL, because everybody thinks, you know, the NFL's Darth Vader, if they don't like what she says, they could fire her um, or essentially fire her with four months notice, um, which is true. But here's the point why you don't need a conspiracy no matter what she says, the NFL has the final yeah, say. Roger's going to Roger's yeah. got the last say anyway, so, so it doesn't matter. And that's what I meant by she's independent, but it doesn't matter because the NFL is still in control at the end of the day. And uh, we'll get our first reports, first leakages of uh, how that uh, hearing goes today with the Sean Watson. And just remember, Eagle fans, if the Eagles had their druthers, we'd be dealing with that here in Philadelphia right now. If they had been able to talk to Sean Watson through channels to oh. backstab his buddy Jalen Hurts, the Eagles would be going through all this right oh, now. I'm so happy. I don't have to deal with that every day, Jody. I'm so You just happy. have to deal with me, McMullen, which yeah. is, I know, no better roses either, but it's better than covering the Sean Watson hearings. Uh, you're welcome for that. All right, partner, you uh, up for joining me again tomorrow? Let's do it. We'll be right back here on Birds 365 in two and two. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.